Revenge week here in Washington. Donald Trump now suggesting that he could unleash his Department of Justice during a potential second term as president. Kevin McCarthy now naming names of which Republicans should get the boost, while Matt Gates is spiking the political football in a brand new documentary. Quite the cocktail heading into the weekend. Plus, Apple AirTags. Normally, you use those to track your keys before you leave the house, maybe put them in your luggage. But here in Washington, the government is now handing them out as a way to prevent car thefts. Plus, as we observe Veterans Day this uh, upcoming holiday weekend, we talked to one lawmaker about how we can honor those who have served all across this country. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Ashley Davis, former George W. Bush uh, White House official. Mick Mulvaney is the former Trump White House chief of staff, News Nation political and economic contributor as well. Julia Manchester, national political reporter for The Hill. And Johanna Mosca, former Obama official and News Nation contributor. I feel the outnumbered Hill. today, Blake. Was that? I feel outnumbered. Do you? You feel outnumbered? All right. Well, yeah, a little bit. Just a little bit. I've never known that feeling before. <laughs> Here we go. The Hill starts right now. But first on this Friday, did you see this? Donald Trump suggesting if he is reelected, that he could use the Justice Department to go after his critics. Yeah, if they do this, they've already done it. But if they want to follow through on this, uh, yeah, it could certainly happen in reverse. It could certainly happen in reverse. What they've done is they've. Now, the former president arguing the Biden administration has set a precedent, citing the indictments that he faces. He also says it's proof the government has been weaponized against him. Those comments from Trump last night, Ashley Mick, uh, if he does win a second term, it's basically the suggestion, I'm going to do what Joe Biden has done to me, but you have to believe that Joe Biden has done that to him. And uh, yeah, it, if he if he does, who's going to complain? I mean, first of all, this is not Democrats, surprising. independents, I think a lot of Americans would be is, a Well, first of all, this is not surprising that Trump would say this, number one. That's part of the story, right? But number two, if Biden has done something that's completely legitimate, what's wrong with having Trump do the exact same thing? If Biden's done something that's inappropriate, what's wrong with having Trump do the exact same thing? This is one of the reasons that Trump is doing so well in the polls is because he's been able to take this angle as a victim and say, look, I'm a victim of the government coming out to get me. They're out to get you next. Elect me and I'll fight for you. This, but, this is part and parcel to, of this. To be clear, though, the implication to, to be clear, the implication is that Joe Biden has unleashed these charges and, and indictments against him. And there's there's some evidence that that's actually the case. Absolutely. There is. I mean, Which is? I, I, a lot of the cases, I mean, if you look at the new case, the New York cases, now Georgia is much stronger than yeah. the New York cases, but, but at the end of the day, and we've talked about this all the time on the show, people think he's a victim. And pe but also what I don't like about it is that everybody is politicizing the Department of Justice, both sides. He's and also, how do we ever take, you know, how do we take it seriously with the, and they're the rule of the land. Yeah. Right. But he also has talked about going after people from the former Trump administration that have turned against him. He's talked about <laughs> John <laughs> Kelly. That's what I was going to say, John Kelly, uh, Bill Barr, Ty seven. Cobb, Mark Milley, General Mark Milley. I mean, these are the people that he's talking about going after. I just hope that we have enough checks and balances. Should he get into office again, that we can hold him accountable. But we did see that fail because the Republicans didn't help 
hold him accountable for before, and I don't know that we can trust that they would again. So, Julia, if, if he gets reelected, is this the start of a revenge tour? essentially? Um, Look, I think this is, first of all, from a political perspective, a red meat to his base right now. His base wants to hear this. Look, all of these, especially when you're on the heels of the New York uh, testimony this week, going into next year with the multiple trials and trial start dates, this is exactly what his base wants to hear. So, you know, in terms of whether it happens, look, he says it will. I'm sure he wants it to, (laughs) but um, we'll see. A big piece of this will be who he can get confirmed, if anybody, as attorney general. Right. Uh, I don't think there's anybody he can get confirmed. But no one. To, no, I don't think there's anybody that Donald Trump would accept, that the Senate would accept, as we sit here today. Huh. All right. Well, the revenge tour, by the way, has made its way to Capitol Hill. The former House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, now saying his party would be better off if the Congressman Matt Gates was not in Congress. And here he was on the Congresswoman from South Carolina, Nancy Mace. And if you've watched her, just her philosophy and the flip-flopping... Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't believe she wins re-election. I don't think she'll probably have earned the right to get re-elected. What's the play here from Kevin McCarthy? Clearly, he, he's reacting to the eight who voted to oust him. It's human nature, right? I mean, they went out that, to That's just all like he's a normal... It. But he's right about Nancy, and here's why. He was one of the largest fundraisers for Nancy mm-hmm. Mace. He's mm-hmm. a, one of the largest fundraisers for a lot of the people that voted him out of office. So Kevin's, you know, a little upset, and rightly so. Without that money, however, in a very real way, these people will struggle to get reelected. The other two days before, sorry, two days before that Nancy Mace uh, voted against him, they passed, passed the Mace Act, which he did for her. Hmm. Uh, to get her legislation passed, but also he and Gates have had this relation, bad yeah, relationship, sure bad personal relationship for, for a long, long time. time. And we have to talk about Gates, but on Mace, she actually, her district, as I understand, there's something that's going to the Supreme Court on the district and some of the lawsuits that have been brought about gerrymandering. And so she doesn't actually know what her district is. So I don't know what her chances are right now. Right, remember, so she was anti-Trump, Trump, anti-Trump. Now she's back to Trump. So, so you lot. mentioned Matt Gates, the congressman who, who started this whole thing. Mm-hmm. He put out a 13-minute, highly produced document today going right after Kevin McCarthy and essentially uh, holding himself up as well in this documentary. It was really about him. Watch. Matt's mad about an ethics complaint. That is an abject lie from a sad and pathetic man. If somebody wants to make a motion against me, bring it. There has to be an adult in the room. I don't think the adult in the room would lie to House conservatives. All right, and then it's 13 minutes of that. I know you're aghast at this, sort of. Like, what's the, what's the thinking here from, from Matt Gates? We want to watch anything for 13 minutes <laughs> by Matt Gates. Right. I admit, I watched it because I... Do this, and y'all pay me to do this. I had to watch this thing. Uh, I immediately then went to go take a shower, um, and then I came back and worried about the cookies that were on my video on my computer from having watched this. This was the most. If Matt Gates ever gets charged with anything criminally, anytime in the future, and he wants to put on an insanity defense, this will be an exhibit that his lawyer put on. It is the most self-absorbed. Uh, megalomaniac. It's, 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 it's bizarre. It's like watching a child try to explain themselves. Yeah. It was really Mickey's hard to watch. But Mickey's raising money off of it. Well, well, a, a lot of money. money. Well, and it's the last thing House Republicans need right now is you're going into the week. You're trying to avoid a government shutdown. You're trying to um, not uh, Mike Johnson's trying to not only unite, well, I don't know, work with Democrats, but also unite his own caucus yeah. and then this is, or conference, and this is how He's implying that Johnson is going to be the best speaker ever, so we'll see how this ages. But the thing I don't understand about Matt 
Matt Gates is how he comes off as an ordinary person. There's only one when, thing you don't well, understand. Well, there's a lot. <laughs> but he, he comes off as an ordinary person when he's the son of a pol- politician. He's got, he's, his dad is currently running for office again. He's gotten himself in multiple scandals. His dad has also gotten in scandals. Political nepotism <laughs> on fire okay. with that family. It goes more than that. He attacks members of Congress for being owned by lobbyists. When the rumor was, after Ron DeSantis got elected governor, that Gates was going to leave and go lobby in Florida because he and DeSantis were such good friends. Of course, then DeSantis said, eh, no thanks for that. But anyway, so Ju- it's just bizarre. It's bizarre at so many different levels. Uh, Don't go watch it. Julia says, this is the last thing Republicans need. Can I try to one-up you? Yeah. Okay. All that in the backdrop, Republicans failed this week to pass two funding bills. Why, you might ask? They're split over issues involving the FBI and abortion. Even after everything they saw on Tuesday night, split on FBI and abortion. The Nebraska Congressman Don Bacon said moderates like himself are taking a stand against the right flank of his party. Here's what he said, quote, we're not going to get run over anymore. We're tired of being treated like second class citizens. So the revenge tour now goes to the moderates, Julia, who say we're done. It's about time. Exactly. Look, we knew this was going to come. And in terms of, you know, speaking up to Mike Johnson, look, he knew this was going to come as well. There was already frustration with the moderates. We saw that with Matt Gates and the lead up to Speaker Mike Johnson. So, you know, he's got his work cut out for him. And how can you expect them to take an abortion vote? right after what happened on Tuesday in the election. So the I mean, two, like, the two things so that touch. they're split over is the FBI, which is DOJ crime, which mm-hmm. is a, a, you know, a big part of the election, and abortion, which was a huge part of the election. Mick, it's like two days later, here they are again over the same stuff. I was in the Capitol Hill Club the other night, and the tension in the, in the building was palpable. I, 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 I think I, I just, they're not getting along with each other. There was a, someone said, I don't know who it is, and I'm sorry, so I can't attribute to it, they said, we're simply ungovernable right now. And I get the very real sense that's right. I'm putting the chance of a shutdown... Not by accident, but just by inability, almost almost 50%. You know, they had an opportunity. Hakeem Jeffries said one of them could have been the speaker if just a few of them had come over and voted with Democrats. And I know that we've talked about all the reasons that it's unlikely, but if they can't govern themselves, at some point, people who are up for re-election are going to have to figure out when they're going to break glass. All right. Um, So that's the Republicans and sort of all the things that they are dealing with. Then there is the other side of the aisle, the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue as well. The vice president, Kamala Harris, flew to South Carolina today to do something routine but very symbolic. She filed paperwork, officially putting President Biden's name on a Democratic primary ballot. She also touted Tuesday's election results. On Tuesday, from Ohio to Virginia... The people, whether they be in so-called red or blue states, voted for freedom. They voted for liberty. And by extension, they voted to uphold our democracy. And so all of that is at stake. We have momentum. The wind is at our back. You didn't meet her on the tarmac, Mick, there in your home state? Uh, you know, I, I, what is it about South Carolina? What is it about me in South Carolina? South Carolina. Those three stories are all South Carolina. South Look, Carolina. I didn't realize we could do it remotely. They always told me I had to go down to Columbia to file, so I'm not really sure. Well, so sure the vice true. president, she went, I mean, she went down there, not, not the president. That's exactly right, yeah. which is and I guess, Listen, he's, there's, he's got more important things to yeah, do. Yeah, he needs file, to be presidential so. yeah. and worry about what's going on I don't in the world. So one thing I'll say is, you know, the, the issue with this, I, you have to do this. We are not putting Democrats on the ballot in Iowa and New Hampshire. And I will call out my own party. I don't like that precedent because 
Iowa and New Hampshire did not change their primary process to fit the Democrats' um, calendar that we want. So they have decided not to put their names on the New Hampshire ballot. I don't like any of us going around any election rules. And so I hope that, yes, do South Carolina, but I hope that we can, as a party, start living by the rules as they're set in the legislatures. Can I say something about Kamala's or the vice president's comments there? You know, we've seen all this week following the election results, the Biden campaign tout the election results, which I think is a bit of a risky move because we didn't see in the, the election results the off year Biden did not go to Kentucky. He endorsed in Virginia, didn't go to Virginia, didn't go to Ohio. And in fact, you saw a lot of these Democratic candidates, Andy Bashir. he didn't run away from Biden, but he didn't embrace him. And then before the, uh, the election earlier this week, we had that New York Times-Siena College poll. And then we had the CNN poll that came out on Tuesday. And that spelled bad news for Biden. So I think it's important just to call out sort of how the Biden campaign is sort of trying to claim a credit for the election results earlier this week. I don't think they Let me, let me ask you. It was if, some of the same people. Let me ask now. you if this was bad news. Uh, today, Jill Stein. Mm. said, hello, I'm coming back into the race. Here she was. Mm. Democrats have betrayed their promises for working people, youth, and the climate again and again, while Republicans don't even make such promises in the first place. So the Green Party candidate who Hillary Clinton, some Democrats essentially blamed for losing in 2016, when you look at 2016 uh, and, and the blue wall, really the three states that Democrats need to win, uh, Jill Stein got 50,000 votes in Michigan. Hillary Clinton lost by 11,000. She got 49,000 votes in Pennsylvania. Hillary Clinton lost by 44,000. She got 30,000 votes in Wisconsin. Hillary Clinton lost by 27,000. It is. It's a bad omen for Democrats. I don't know that we would have gotten all of those votes either way. People could have stayed home. But... Look, when Jill Stein is on the ballot, it has not worked in our favor. I think we're going to see a lot of people on the ballot this time around. And that's the other thing is that for any campaign, you know, it is some of the same people working on these state races as it is the federal levels. They know math really, really well, as long as everything is as expected. And right now, what with Jill Stein and the others, it's unexpected. You think I know you thought Cornell West was a big deal. Is this yeah. a big deal? I think it's a, it could stand to be a big deal. I mean, I think a lot of uh, by, uh, Clinton people, excuse me, in 2016 attribute that loss in part to Jill Stein playing the role of a spoiler. You not only have Jill Stein, you have RFK Jr., you have Cornell West, you have potentially Joe Manchin. So they're juggling a lot here. Joe Manchin or no labels. Yeah, whoever general. that is. Yeah. There will be a no <laughs> labels Which candidate. could be everybody. Right. If it's, I'm not quite there that really? it's going to be Biden Trump. Oh, Oh, because they okay. only run. No labels only runs a candidate if it's Biden and Trump. That's what they've said. Right. Yes, that, that's true. But you I mean, you think uh, you're, you guys are going to have a different candidate? They? Well, <laughs> and Nikki Haley would have to win in Iowa. She'd have to win in New Hampshire because the delegate math. She's got to get very early states in order to get the you know win on her side. Back to Jill Stein. Is what, what is there? If she does X, it moves the needle. What is the X? 
Is it basically 2016? No, I, I think she's a placeholder for it, it's. They're they're straw straw men, right? They're stalking right. horses. It's. I don't want to. I'm a Democrat, but I don't want to vote for Biden, so I'll vote for another Democrat on the ticket. Same thing with with Trump. I'm I'm I'm, I'm a Republican. I want to vote for Trump. I'll go find somebody else. It's sort of a protest vote against the person at the top of your ticket. Right. You got a member of Congress calling you there? Who was it? Why? <laughs> Mrs. Mulvaney? She, which just tells me she's not watching the show. She's in real trouble my, back my home. My husband said he was going to watch yeah. live, yeah. which is not always. Well, coming up, are you ready for some football? Either that or she is calling to somebody that there's something wrong that she can No, 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 you look great in here. Uh, President Biden just might be ready for some football. Why, the president hosted some of the biggest names in college football lore in the Oval Office this week. So is he about to get behind the biggest issue facing college football today. Coming up, we'll speak with one of those who was inside the Oval with the president, what the president told him when The Hill on News Nation returns. Live. All right, welcome back to The Hill. So is President Biden getting ready to jump into the debate around the compensation for college athletes? Now, the president this week met with a former, uh, a group of former college football players discussing the pressing issues involving college athletics. It comes after a series of congressional hearings which focused on the future of college sports, now that student athletes can be compensated for their name, image, and likeness. This committee and the Commerce Committee doesn't act in about a year. This thing is going to be an absolute mess and you're going to destroy college athletics as we know it. You may regret asking Congress to intervene here. Um, All of a sudden, you're going to be micromanaged. Joining us now, college football analyst Rod Gilmore, who was at that meeting inside the Oval with the president. Rod, I've been watching you for years. Thank you for coming on here on the Hill. Appreciate the time. Um, So as I understand it, the, the president... Was, was with you and your group for about 45 minutes inside the Oval. Um, what did he tell you about how he's thinking about this issue, and is he going to get involved? Well, Blake, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to join yep. you to this topic. Um, uh, it was a, a really amazing and surreal uh, day, obviously, um, to, to be at the White House and to have the White House staff and the president uh, weigh in and be concerned about the economic rights and the health and safety of college athletes. And we particularly were focused on uh, college football players uh, with our group that day um, and the issues that are, are, are important to, to all of us facing that name, image, and likeness, revenue sharing, um, health and safety of, of players. So uh, I think the president made it very clear that he's concerned about the rights of players. Uh, the fact that the players do not have a voice, they don't have representation they don't have a seat at the table when it comes to the NCAA. And so that is something that is very important to the White House and to the president. And they want to take a position. I won't speak for the White House as to what the next step is or what their uh, proposals will be if they have proposals. But the, the care. Does he feel like does he feel like they should unionize Rob Rod? I mean, we know he calls himself the most pro-union president of all time. And to me, it just feels inevitable as to when there is eventually a the college football union of, of some point is. Does, is, is that where this is headed, them being, you know, considered employees? Yeah, I, I can't speak for the White House as to, as to whether it would be a union or whatever, but we had a discussion about the fact that the players need to have a voice. They need to have a seat at the table. What form that takes, how that comes about, uh, is, is unclear. 
Uh, the NCAA has had an opportunity for years to try and create that. They have chosen not to, but it's clear that the players, you know, need to have that. People tend to forget this is a twenty billion dollar a year uh, revenue. Yeah, it uh, is industry. massive. Yeah, it's massive, and people also forget that the NCAA has been uh, guilty of violating the antitrust laws on multiple occasions. And nine, twice, the nine nothing Supreme Court decision, as we know right. in this town, not much unites the Supreme Court, but their view exactly. of the NCA was pretty rock solid. Right. And twice that's been a price fixing on players. So the players have not had representation within the NCAA about their economic rights. And now with the issue about name, image, and likeness, listen, this goes to uh, the free market and it goes to a person's right to profit from their name, image, and likeness. And all of us have that right. Every student has that right, but now we hear the narrative before Congress that we need to limit the rights of the football players, basketball players, and college athletes, while every other American gets to, you know, pursue that right. That seems to be right. making second-class citizens out of these athletes, and that's a concern. And so I think that's one of the issues. But we talked about a lot more than name, image, and likeness, and the health and safety yeah. is a real, really big issue to the president, right. to the White House staff as well. All right, Rod Gilmore, got to leave it there. Thank you, sir. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll catch you on the tube. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Blake. Appreciate it. Yep, you got it. Um, it just, it feels like Congress got involved. We love our football in this country, do we not? Congress got involved, and then all of a sudden you saw this meeting in the Oval Office, and it just feels like the president and the White House just might get involved here. I think they see an opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. It- yeah. I'm not, I'm not good I on also, sports, hashtag look, sports. I also think this has been before, you know, this meeting. I've seen Democrats. There are a lot of people who are in our orbit who are talking about this. Because there is an issue when you've got athletes that are going out there playing for teams, bringing in all this money, and they're poor, and they're barely able to, you know, maybe they have, Johanna, they have I, I, I'm college tuition. I, I, I yeah. think they should get paid. I, I, I'm on their side in this. What I, what I don't understand is... It looks like there's already laws on the books that they would be able to take advantage of. The Supreme Court has already come to their defense a couple times. Why, why are they coming back to Congress now? What are they asking for that they don't have the ability to do already? Because I think John Kennedy because right. it's, it's, it's Be really careful when you ask for the government to come get involved in your business. What's the purpose of the NCAA right now? Yes, right. And what's the future of the NCAA, and is it But is that a is commercial it a, is decision, it a or is that a, is it a government regulatory decision? I mean, if they're violating the antitrust laws, which they are, they're going to get in trouble, which they have. I don't understand why it's a federal government issue. I'm not, again, I'm not picking sides. I am picking sides. I'm with <laughs> I, I think the players should get paid. I'm just not sure how the government fixes this problem, because I don't think the government caused it in the first place. Well, I don't I, think I, that's, really, a, really I don't think that's a, a, a sentiment you share with all in Congress. I mean, it's an interesting thing to just watch them talk about it. These individuals have the right. Sometimes there are many barriers to those rights, and they continue to fight and fight in courts. And I think getting a little bit more oxygen on it is sometimes what you need to actually I, get those rights. I just wonder, we've seen, it, there's been like 10 hearings or a dozen hearings, something like that, in Congress. And now you see them in the Oval in an election year. Who right, doesn't love? Who doesn't love college right, kids? Right, who doesn't love it's, football? It's just, it's just good politics. And it's college right? campuses like, are in trouble enough as it is. More importantly, if your kids were old enough to hear you say "see you on the tube," <laughs> they would totally be cringing right now. Just so you know. All right, I'm about to get to the age where dad's not cool, so I'll take whatever I can get. Uh, coming up, he served four tours in Iraq. He's now a member of Congress as well. And on this Veterans Day weekend, how the congressman from Massachusetts, Seth Moulton, is creating a sacred space for veterans. And what he's saying about a push for psychedelics and cannabis to potentially help vets with PTSD. 
And did you, did you see this this afternoon? There appears to be a potential escalation in New York City involving the mayor there, Eric Adams. The New York Times is now reporting the FBI approached the mayor while he was on the street. The FBI said, come here. We want to talk to you. Why? We'll get into it when The Hill returns. All right, welcome back and check this out. This is pretty cool. We are now getting a first look at the U.S. military's next generation of long-range, nuclear-capable stealth bombers. That's it right there, the B-21 Raider. It took its first test flight today over Palmdale, California. That's about 60 miles north of Los Angeles. Now, here's how Northrop Grumman describes it. They say it's the next generation of stealth technology, advanced networking capabilities, and an open system architecture the B-21 is optimized for the high-end threat environment. Price tag on this thing, $750 million bucks, give or take. They're going to make 100 or so of them, at least at the beginning. And Ashley, you looked at me and said... It's good timing. And why would that be? <laughs> well, I mean, and Mick said this too in the break. I mean, they've been working on this for how many years? But the fact that they're revealing this when the world is in such disarray at the moment, I think... You don't think it's a coincidence? No. I just hope it's really only $750 billion and a million, and I hope they build 100 of them. Right. Last time we, they usually go, they always go over budget, and they're always, they can never afford to buy. So, that, so they'll be $900 million and they'll end up building 80 of them? I do love our new technology. Nick, did you ever get, when they, when they had new technology and the military wanted to take you up in a helicopter or something and show off the, the new technology, it is the coolest thing ever, getting to ride on some of those uh, military helicopters. Awesome. We, there's no place like the United States like, of America. I'm going to cut it out. Budget next year. Listen, it's it's great. It's just you know we did this with the F-22. So we're going to buy a thousand, a hundred of them. We built you know thirty or something like that. It's just I I hope it works out. I really do. The military is not famous for its economic efficiency. I once uh, I I once got offered to go in in the hurricane plane that flies through hurricanes. Yeah. Story in local news. I know, and I was like, they're like, you want to do it? I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I was saying yes to everything, and then, then. so I thought I was going in the plane into the hurricane, and they're like, we don't need you today to do this. I'm like, all right, it's all good. We, we, can, we can move on to the next story. I'm good. Uh, all right, speaking of the next story, tomorrow is Veterans Day, an important time to remember and honor all the people who have served the United States. I spoke with the Democratic congressman from Massachusetts, Seth Moulton, who served four tours in Iraq as a Marine Corps infantry officer. Congressman Moulton, thank you for being here on the Hill on News Nation. We appreciate the time. I know this is obviously an important uh, weekend for you. A, you. You served overseas, a captain in the Marines, served in Iraq. Um, you are hosting a town hall today. It is called a sacred space, I believe. It's the ninth year you've done this, so it's clearly had some success. What, what is it, and, and, and how was it helpful for folks like yourself? So the idea with Veterans Town Halls is to bring veterans together to share some of their stories and experiences, but to do so not just with fellow veterans, but with the communities that we fought to protect, to try to bridge this divide between veterans and everybody else. You know, I think we're fortunate to live in a time in America when a lot of people support veterans, even if they don't support our wars. They want to support veterans when they come home. They want to help us out, but they don't even know how to relate. And Veterans Town Halls enable us veterans to share just short stories of how our experiences overseas have affected our lives back home. And I'll tell you what, it's a powerful experience. 
You know, you, you mentioned the support for, for veterans, and, and there is no doubt about that. But I saw something, Congressman, that, that really caught my attention. There was a poll of veterans from 18 to 29 years old, and 70% of them right now say they feel uncomfortable when someone says to them, thank you for your service. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's this feeling that people don't really know what that service is all about, that they're just sort of casually saying thank you with not understanding the real sacrifices that veterans went through and the effects that that service can still have on our lives today. And that's, again, what this this town hall is about. You go to one of these town halls, they've now spread all across the nation, thanks in part to many of my colleagues in Congress who have picked up this concept and are doing it in their communities and when you go to one of these, you'll hear all range of stories. I remember an Air Force veteran from World War II just talking about how much he missed being in the war. Heard veterans from Vietnam saying they thought the whole war was a terrible mistake. Veterans from Iraq who regretted some of the things that they were called to do. And other veterans who really felt impacted by the amazing people they met and got to serve with and yet feel kind of lonely back here at home. So you, you'll hear all range of experiences but a lot of Americans just haven't heard of those experiences at all because they don't know veterans personally. Your, your experience includes suffering from PTSD. You have been very open uh, about this, Congressman, in the recent years. There was something interesting earlier this, this year in Washington, earlier this summer, where you had Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who was on the left flank of your party, and Congressman Dan Crenshaw, a wounded veteran who is a conservative Republican. And they have come together. Uh, you see an image of them there. They have come together on the idea of we need to look into psych- uh, psychedelics and funding psychedelics, because maybe that is a way to help veterans uh, and to help others um, who have, for example, issues with, with P- PTSD. What's the path there uh, as you see it, Congressman? Look, we need to do a lot more. Uh, Obviously, there are a lot of veterans from many wars that are uh, suffering uh, from this. And and yet it's really just been an issue that we've been willing to address with Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. And so there's a lot of work that can be done. Uh, I know a lot of veterans who take cannabis, for example, in parts that they don't get hooked on opioids, but the VA refuses to even research cannabis. We're pushing the VA to not only research cannabis, but research psychedelics as well. And I think there is broad bipartisan support for this. You know, one other thing I just wanted to to say, um, you know, you talked about post-traumatic stress disorder. I actually just call it post-traumatic stress because as one of my best friends in the Marines who I served with said, he said once, Seth, you know, after what we went through, it would be a disorder if you weren't affected by it. And so the the bottom line is that getting post-traumatic stress is a perfectly normal human response to incredibly traumatic experiences. We've just got to be better at treating it on the back end. Wow. Um, Powerful to hear you say that. Uh, I'd I'd actually never heard it framed that way, but it certainly makes you think. Um, Congressman, uh, I I know an issue that uh, is front and center for you here in Washington is China. You're on the, the select committee. Some big news today we learned uh, that President Biden is going to be meeting with President Xi in a handful of days from now, Wednesday, California. What is the message that the president, uh, in your view, needs to send to Xi Jinping? You know, the primary message is we do not want World War III in the Pacific. And that's very well what could happen if China decides to invade Taiwan. Part of preventing World War III is having a dialogue, having a dialogue with your adversaries and your allies. 
The president has done a lot of work to strengthen our allies in the Pacific, to say to China that you can't get away with this if you try to do what Vladimir Putin is trying to do in Ukraine. That's a powerful message of deterrence, strength in numbers. But you also have to talk with your adversaries. China is an adversary right now. Uh, I hope that's not always the case. But having a dialogue with them in the same way that President Reagan had a dialogue with Soviet leaders helps avert crises. And that's exactly what President Biden is trying to do. Congressman, got to leave it there. Thank you for the time and appreciate the perspective. Uh, Congressman Seth Moulton from Massachusetts. Take care. Thank you, sir. Big meeting on Wednesday Yeah, that he was referencing there. It was interesting right. to hear him say, I, I want to avoid World War III. Of course, everyone does, but... Well, and APEC is a, a really important, I mean, it's got an economic component. There's private sector there. It's, you know, obviously China and the U.S., huge trade partners. Um, there is that line of communication, but obviously when it comes to the defense of our countries, you know, neither one is going to give an inch. So uh, I, I don't know how any leader kind of walks this line but it is, it's gotten very contentious. And I told you the other day, I don't like that the pandas are gone. <laughs> you're, you're serious, <laughs> I don't you're like serious it. about that. Yeah. I'm what, very. What is it like prepping the president for a meeting like that? Uh, it's, it's pretty standard stuff. I think that the real preparation is trying to figure out why. Why are they coming to this? Why are the Chinese coming to this and not the G20? For example, a couple of months ago, the Chinese did not come to meet with President uh, uh, Biden when they think, think he was in India at the time. Yeah. So what's changed? And why has it changed? So it's not, the prep is easy, which is, Mr. President, you're going to be here, we're going to be here, here's the list of things we're going to talk about, here's what he's going to talk about, et cetera. It's not, it's not easy, but it's not, it's not right. groundbreaking. The real question is trying to get into the texture as to, okay, what do they want? Why are they here? Why is it different now than it was six months ago? That's where the art to this is. And China's yeah. such a protocol-heavy country that there's been so many meetings to yeah. lead up to, to get this. to this exactly. point. Well, that's, why, so, I, yes. that's why I asked, like, yeah. what, what, you know, what... I mean, State Department, NSC, I yeah. mean, everybody's They've, meeting for the last... They have, and that's, Mick, in our experience, I mean, even the translators were the per people with power in the Chinese meetings, and, you know, they, they insist on consecutive translation instead of simultaneous hmm. translation. And it's all just a bizarre show that I had never expected before I was in government. Keep in mind, at these meetings, they're not coming just to meet each other. This is not a no. summit. They happen to be together at a conference. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the meeting, it might be as short as half an hour. It might be an hour. It's unlikely it would be much more than that. But there's not, it's not the purpose. We're not going just okay. to have these meetings. All right. Well, coming up, you might have heard. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, it's, in, it's interesting politically. Um, I, I think it's really important that he's meeting with China. But I also think politically, you saw what happened in Michigan this week with them outing their entire city Yeah, council. we talked about that the other day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, there's a lot of anger towards China in this country. Yeah. All right. So you might have heard of Apple AirTags, right? You attach them to your keys, your backpack, something you don't want to lose. But here in Washington, some drivers are getting them for free. Why? It actually makes a little bit of sense, but, but the reason behind it makes you wonder if this is just a band-aid. And those new questions about the New York City mayor, Eric Adams. Did you, did you hear what happened to him? The New York Times is now reporting the FBI showed up essentially on the street and said, we need to talk to you. They pulled him into a car. They took his electronic devices. He is the mayor of the largest city in this country. Why? That's coming up when the Hill returns. All right, welcome back to The Hill. So the FBI apparently sees the New York City mayor 
Eric Adams electronic devices as part of a federal investigation into campaign fundraising. The New York Times reporting that the incident took place earlier this week. According to the Times, the agents approached the mayor on the street and asked his security detail to step away. They climbed into his SUV with him and pursuant to a court-authorized warrant, took his devices, the person said. That's the New York Times. Now, we are learning of this eight days after the FBI raided Brianna Suggs' home. She is the mayor's chief fundraiser. A spokesperson for the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York declined to comment about the incident with Adams to News Nation. So here's one of the things I find interesting about this. They treated Eric Adams like they would have treated any of us. It wasn't Mr. Mayor, come down here on this date at this time. They met him on the street and said, step into the car. Well, that may be because they had a warrant, not for his arrest. They had a warrant for the telephone. And I think they just went to go get it. So they're not going to call you if you're at home, if, they, if you want your computer files out of your house. And I right. can say, please bring that in. They're going to go to your house and take them. So I, would, I, I don't want to read too much into this yet because I, I think people are reading, watching this thinking, oh, Adams is the target of this investigation. Yeah, no, it's, the, it's his, his it's chief campaign, fund, as campaign of right, fundraiser. As of yeah. right now. So, but there is were, it, though? There I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I, you know. It's the fundraising in general, I thought. But. Well, there have been some questions that have circled really since he got elected. I mean, at first it was like, oh, this is the Democratic playbook for how we're going to get someone elected. And then some things started coming out. He was appointing his brother as security detail and people were raising questions and then it was going to be for no money. And then, you know, I, there's been some questions about his campaign fundraising already. And so some more may come out and contextualize uh, why the Biden administration does not have him as a surrogate anymore. Yeah, at this point in time. <laughs> and it also comes as there's been growing tension between yeah, and him and President Biden, particularly on the microphone. Oh, gosh, they'll put that. That could be. <laughs> there you go. All right, well, speaking of law enforcement, here is what they are trying to do now in Washington to combat crime. Have you heard about this? The police just released a new plan. They handed out free Apple AirTags to residents. Why? It would make it easier to track down a vehicle if it is stolen. This is a real problem in this city. And you would think handing out air tags, right? Like you put it in your luggage so you don't lose the luggage. Why not put it in the car? Well, it's a real problem nationwide right Right now. We saw FBI data that was released that showed carjackings up, what, 200% and 90% of these carjackings nationwide are involve a weapon. There was an incident in Chicago, I think, earlier this week or last week where, um, you know, some the suspects who haven't been caught yet, to my knowledge, followed a woman back to her home and basically in her daughter and took her, you know, took the car at gunpoint. So this is a real issue, especially here, following on Henry Quayle. Here in Washington, D.C., carjacking incidents over the past year, uh, 849 of them year to date. That's a 100 percent increase. So maybe defunding the police isn't the right way to go. Democrats should, have backed off that stance. Haven't they? I don't think it doesn't Democrats matter, but it's been happening. But you're saying this is a result of what they did for multiple Absolutely. years. Absolutely. In, in seriousness on this, she's, I think Ashley's right in, in, in a different way. You don't politicize everything. But if around the country, if elections end up being about crime, Republicans tend to do better. We win. We do better on economy and crime. Democrats do better on health care and right now and abortion. I, so if this is part of a bigger trend, and it might be, it might speak to 
something yeah. that happens in November. I said from the get-go, defund the police is a stupid idea. So mm-hmm. there were plenty of people who were saying that's a bad idea. You know, like in any system, there are people who take advantage. We have to root them out. The AirTag stuff is is weird because that technology in L.A. was being used by some of the criminals at one point in time to track cars, where they were going. Hmm. I'm very curious about it, but I don't know if you guys You're have ever like done this. you saying like a reverse, this. like they would yeah, put it on a so, car? Yeah, oh. so that they could find them. So I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but when you move with someone else's AirTags, like if I take my husband's keys or something, it'll say you're moving with someone else's AirTag. Yeah. So my suspicion is now, if they're moving with this car and they're moving with someone's AirTag, they're like, bye, get out of Dodge. It is, it is a real problem, though, here in Washington. I mean, it happened to a congressman how many weeks ago? Yeah, yeah there have been members of Congress here. Yeah. You live in Washington? Yeah. Or you live in this area? You know someone who's been carjacked? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do. You live here? You yeah. know someone that's been carjacked? I don't know someone, but Henry Quayer, the congressman. Congressman, there you go. I mean, in some form or another, like, you know. All right, a quick programming note. Connell McShane filling in for Elizabeth Vargas tonight. Coming up on the show, he'll be speaking with Adam Zafuto, a veteran who has treated his post-traumatic stress with psychedelics. We were talking about this with the congressman, Seth Moulton. He will share his experience with psychedelic therapy along with his journey to recovery. That's coming up about uh, seven minutes from now on Elizabeth Vargas Reports right after the hill. But before we go, we'll look at how some of the country is honoring veterans and why you might want to head to one of the national parks this weekend. Is there one around your neighborhood? We'll explain why. Some final thoughts from the panel. We're back in a few. Tonight, Dan's all-star panel takes center stage. What the polls say about President Biden's handling of Israel at war and why RFK Jr. is leading in battleground states. Plus, what abortion as a top issue for voters means for Democrats. That's tonight on Dan Abrams Live. All right, so before we say goodbye, here is something that caught our eye as we head into this Veterans Day weekend. The former president, George W. Bush, hosted his ninth annual Warrior 100,000 uh, 100, bike ride. This was earlier today in Crawford, Texas. The two-day event brings together U.S. military personnel that were wounded in combat to highlight their service and sacrifice. He does this every year. It's fantastic. And the national parks, by the way, are thanking servicemen and servicewomen with free entrance for all visitors on Veterans Day. So you go to any national park, Anywhere in this country, uh, you get to go to get, walk in there for free on this Veterans Day weekend. I learned today that about 20% uh, of those who work for the National Park Service are veterans. Mm. So they got that's a, fantastic. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can, can I just go back to my former boss? Yeah. So this is something that's very, very important to him, veterans in general. And you know, after 9-11 and after Afghanistan and Iraq, he has will meet, if they will meet with him, with every family that loses a, a son or daughter in combat. Mm. And he doesn't talk about it. It is not something that he ever, ever did and took a picture with. But this is That's probably wonderful. his most important thing for there, him. He's done this for a, a year, of, decades, right? Since 2000 and... Yeah. And then we declare war in Afghanistan, yeah. 2001. For a long time, and there are a lot of veterans who watch us. Mm-hmm. Every night, they uh, they correspond through social media. And we are very <laughs> grateful for yes. them. Yes. So... Yes. They're here. They don't write me. They write you. They do write me, Mick. I think you just don't answer. You don't check your messages. Did you, 